This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. The Lone Star Ranger by Zane Gray Chapter One: The Outlaw So it was in him, then, an inherited fighting instinct, a driving intensity to kill. He was the last of the Duanes, that old fighting stock of Texas. But not the memory of his dead father, nor the pleading of his soft-voiced mother, nor the warning of this uncle who stood before him now, had brought to Buck Duane so much realization of the dark, passionate strain in his blood. It was the recurrence, a hundredfold increased in power, of a strange emotion that for the last three years had arisen in him. "'Yes, Cal Bain's in town, full of bad whiskey and hunting for you,' repeated the elder man gravely. "'It's the second time,' muttered Duane, as if to himself. "'Son, you can't avoid a meeting. Leave town till Cal sobers up. He ain't got it in for you when he's not drinking.' "'But what's he want me for?' demanded Duane. "'To insult me again? I won't stand that twice.' "'He's got a fever that's rampant in Texas these days, my boy. He wants gun play. If he meets you, he'll try to kill you.' Here it stirred in Duane again, that bursting gush of blood, like a wind of flame shaking all his inner being, and subsiding to leave him strangely chilled." "'Kill me? What for?' he asked. "'Lord knows there ain't any reason. But what's that to do with most of the shootin' these days? Didn't five cowboys over to Everalls kill one another dead, all because they got to jerkin' at a quirt among themselves? And Cal has no reason to love you. His girl was sweet on you.' "'I quit when I found out she was his girl.' I reckon she ain't quit, but never mind her or reasons. Cal's here, just drunk enough to be ugly. He's aching to kill somebody. He's one of them four-flush gunfighters. He'd like to be thought bad. There's a lot of wild cowboys who are ambitious for a reputation. They talk about how quick they are on the draw. The ape Bland and King Fisher and Hardin and all the big outlaws. They make threats about joining the gangs along the Rio Grande. They laugh at the sheriffs and brag about how they'd fix the rangers. Cal's sure not much for you to bother with if you only keep out of his way. "'You mean for me to run?' asked Duane in scorn. "'I reckon I wouldn't put it that way. Just avoid him. Buck, I'm not afraid Cal would get you if you met down there in town.' You've your father's eye and his slick hand with a gun. What I'm most afraid of is that you'll kill Bane. Duane was silent, letting his uncle's earnest words sink in, trying to realize their significance. If Texas ever recovers from that fool war and kills off these outlaws, why, a young man will have a lookout, went on the uncle. You're twenty-three now 
and a powerful sight of a fine fella, barring your temper. You've a chance in life. But if you go gunfighting, if you kill a man, you're ruined. Then you'll kill another. It'll be the same old story. And the rangers would make you an outlaw. The rangers mean law and order for Texas. This even-break business doesn't work with them. If you resist arrest, they'll kill you. If you submit to arrest, then you go to jail, and maybe you hang. I'd never hang, muttered Duane darkly. I reckon you wouldn't, replied the old man. You'd be like your father. He was ever ready to draw. Too ready. In times like these, with the Texas Rangers enforcing the law, your dad would have been driven to the river. And, son, I'm afraid you're a chip off the old block. Can't you hold in, keep your temper, run away from trouble? Because it'll only result in you getting the worst of it in the end. Your father was killed in a street fight, and it was told of him that he shot twice after a bullet had passed through his heart. Think of the terrible nature of a man to be able to do that. If you have any such blood in you, never give it a chance. What you say is all very well, uncle, returned Duane. But the only way out for me is to run, and I won't do it. Cal Bain and his outfit have already made me look like a coward. He says I'm afraid to come out and face him. A man simply can't stand that in this country. Besides, Cal would shoot me in the back some day if I didn't face him. "'Well, then, what you going to do?' inquired the elder man. "'I haven't decided. Yet.' "'No, but you're coming to it mighty fast. That damn spell is working in you. You're different today. I remember how you used to be moody and lose your temper and talk wild. Never was much afraid of you then. But now you're getting cool and quiet.' and you think deep, and I don't like the light in your eye. It reminds me of your father. I wonder what Dad would say to me today if he were alive and here, said Duane. What do you think? What could you expect of a man who never wore a glove on his right hand for twenty years? Well, he'd hardly have said much. Dad never talked. But he would have done a lot, and I guess I'll go downtown and let Cal Bain find me. Then followed a long silence, during which Duane sat with downcast eyes, and the uncle appeared lost in sad thought of the future. Presently he turned to Duane with an expression that denoted resignation, and yet a spirit which showed wherein they were of the same blood. You've got a fast horse, the fastest I know of in this country. After you meet Bain, hurry back home. I'll have a saddle-bag packed for you and the horse ready. With that he turned on his heel and went into the house, leaving Duane to revolve in his mind his singular speech. Buck wondered presently if he shared his uncle's opinion of the result of a meeting between himself and Bain. His thoughts were vague, but on the instant of final decision, when he had settled with himself that he would meet Bain, such a storm of passion assailed him that he felt as if he were being shaken with ague. 
yet it was all internal inside his breast for his hand was like a rock and for all he could see not a muscle about him quivered he had no fear of bain or of any other man but a vague fear of himself of this strange force in him made him ponder and shake his head it was as if he had not all to say in this matter there appeared to have been in him a reluctance to let himself go and some voice some spirit from a distance something he was not accountable for had compelled him that hour of duane's life was like years of actual living and in it he became a thoughtful man he went into the house and buckled on his belt and gun the gun was a colt forty five six shot and heavy with an ivory handle he had packed it on and off for five years before that it had been used by his father there were a number of notches filed in the bulge of the ivory handle this gun was the one his father had fired twice after being shot through the heart and his hand had stiffened so tightly upon it in the death grip that his fingers had to be pried open it had never been drawn upon any man since it had come into duane's possession but the cold bright polish of the weapon showed how it had been used duane could draw it with inconceivable rapidity and at twenty feet he could split a card pointing edgewise toward him duane wished to avoid meeting his mother fortunately as he thought she was away from home he went out and down the path toward the gate the air was full of the fragrance of blossoms and the melody of birds outside in the road a neighbor woman stood talking to a countryman in a wagon they spoke to him and he heard but did not reply then he began to stride down the road toward the town wellston was a small town but important in that unsettled part of the great state because it was the trading center of several hundred miles of territory on the main street there were perhaps fifty buildings some brick some frame mostly adobe and one-third of the lot and by far the most prosperous were saloons from the road duane turned into this street it was a wide thoroughfare lined by hitching rails and saddled horses and vehicles of various kinds duane's eye ranged down the street taking in all at a glance particularly persons moving leisurely up and down not a cowboy was in sight duane slackened his stride and by the time he reached soul white's place which was the first saloon he was walking slowly several people spoke to him and turned to look back after they had passed he paused at the door of white's saloon took a sharp survey of the interior then stepped inside the saloon was large and cool full of men and noise and smoke the noise ceased upon his entrance and the silence ensuing presently broke to the clink of mexican silver dollars at a monte table sol white who was behind the bar straightened up when he saw duane then without speaking he bent over to rinse a glass all eyes except those of the mexican gamblers were turned upon duane and these glances were keen speculative questioning these men knew bain was looking for trouble they probably had heard his boasts but what did duane intend to do several of the cowboys and ranchers present exchanged glances 
Duane had been weighed by unerring Texas instinct, by men who all packed guns. The boy was the son of his father. Whereupon they greeted him and returned to their drinks and cards. Sol White stood with his big red hands out upon the bar. He was a tall, raw-boned Texan with a long mustache waxed to sharp points. "'Howdy, Buck!' was his greeting to Duane. He spoke carelessly and averted his dark gaze for an instant. "'Howdy, Sol,' replied Duane slowly. "'Say, Sol, I hear there's a gent in town looking for me bad.' "'Reckon there is, Buck,' replied White. "'He came in here about an hour ago. "'Sure he was some riled, and a roaring for gore. "'Told me confidential a certain party had given you a white silk scarf, "'and he was hell-bent on wearing it home spotted red.' "'Anybody with him?' queried Duane. "'Bird and Sam Outcalt, and a little cowpuncher I never seen before.' They all was coaxing Trim to leave town. But he's looked on the flowing glass, Buck, and he's here for keeps. Why doesn't Sheriff Oaks lock him up if he's that bad? Oaks went away with the Rangers. There's been another raid at Flesher's Ranch. The Kingfisher gang, likely. And so the town's sure wide open. Duane stalked outdoors and faced down the street. He walked the whole length of the long block, meeting many people—farmers, ranchers, clerks, merchants, Mexicans, cowboys, and women. It was a singular fact that when he turned to retrace his steps the street was almost empty. He had not returned a hundred yards on his way when the street was wholly deserted. A few heads protruded from doors and around corners. That main street of Wellston saw some such situation every few days. If it was an instinct for Texans to fight, it was also instinctive for them to sense with remarkable quickness the signs of a coming gunplay. Rumor could not fly so swiftly. In less than ten minutes everybody who had been on the street or in the shops knew that Buck Duane had come forth to meet his enemy. Duane walked on. When he came to within fifty paces of a saloon, he swerved out into the middle of the street, stood there for a moment, then went ahead and back to the sidewalk. He passed on in this way the length of the block. Sol White was standing in the door of his saloon. "'Buck, I'm a-tipping you off,' he said, quick and low-voiced. "'Cal Bain's over at Everall's. If he's a-hunting you bad as he brags, he'll show there.' Duane crossed the street and started down. Notwithstanding White's statement, Duane was wary and slow at every door. Nothing happened, and he traversed almost the whole length of the block without seeing a person. Everall's place was on the corner. Duane knew himself to be cold, steady. He was conscious of a strange fury that made him want to leap ahead. He seemed to long for this encounter more than anything he had ever wanted. But, vivid as were his sensations, he felt as if in a dream. Before he reached Everall's he heard loud voices, one of which was raised high. Then the short door swung outward, as if impelled by a vigorous hand. A bow-legged cowboy, wearing woolly chaps, burst out upon the sidewalk. 
At sight of Duane he seemed to bound into the air, and he uttered a savage roar. Duane stopped in his tracks at the outer edge of the sidewalk, perhaps a dozen rods from Everall's door. If Bain was drunk he did not show it in his movement. He swaggered forward, rapidly closing up the gap. Red, sweaty, disheveled and hatless, his face distorted and expressive of the most malignant intent, he was a wild and sinister figure. He had already killed a man, and this showed in his demeanor. His hands were extended before him, the right hand a little lower than the left. At every step he bellowed his rancor and speech mostly curses. Gradually he slowed his walk, then halted. A good twenty-five paces separated the men. "'Won't nothing make you draw, you!' he shouted fiercely. "'I'm waiting on you, Cal,' replied Duane. Bain's right hand stiffened, moved. Duane threw his gun as a boy throws a ball underhand, a draw his father had taught him. He pulled twice, his shots almost as one. Bain's big colt boomed while it was pointed downward and he was falling. His bullets scattered dust and gravel at Duane's feet. He fell loosely, without contortion. In a flash all was reality for Duane. He went forward and held his gun ready for the slightest movement on the part of Bain. But Bain lay on his back, and all that moved were his breast and his eyes. How strangely the red had left his face, and also the distortion. The devil that had showed in Bain was gone. He was sober and conscious. He tried to speak, but failed. His eyes expressed something pitifully human. They changed, rolled, set blankly. Duane drew a deep breath and sheathed his gun. He felt calm and cool, glad the fray was over. One violent expression burst from him. The fool! When he looked up there were men around him. Plum center, said one. Another, a cowboy who evidently had just left the gaming table, leaned down and pulled open Bain's shirt. He had the ace of spades in his hand. He laid it on Bain's breast, and the black figure on the card covered the two bullet holes just over Bain's heart. Duane wheeled and hurried away. He heard another man say, "'Reckon Cal got what he deserved. Buck Duane's first gunplay. Like father, like son.'" End of chapter.